along this world. Podcasts fill the streets. It's up to two men who bring order to the chaos. Hello everyone, it's Hardcasters here again, just peeking through your window, don't mind us. We were very unprofessional last week, I'd like to apologise, there was lots of laughing, um, and I can assure you there'll be no cause for merriment this week. I'm Dominic Duplum, and with me as always is Dick Versage. Hello, um, I mean, I, I agree, I think, you know, we, there was lots of uh, tittering and mirth, so... There was I, a lot of tittering. There was, I've, I've tried to shelve the mirth. And put the tittering yeah. back in the box. So let's let's fingers crossed. Yeah, we we, we stay on stay on, on on message. Yeah. Um, today we're we're kind of veering out of our comfort zone a little bit. Uh, we're tackling the the national institution that is James Bond. Now, before we we progress, um, word has got out, and we've received a letter. This is a real letter from a real person. Um from uh, Dorothy Butterkist in uh, Lowestoft, who writes, Dear Dick and Dom, and I've just read that, um, we're named after the bogeys twats. Oh, <laughs> uh, <okay>. hell. Um, <laughs> anyway, Dear Dick and Dom, <laughs> you profess to be an 80s action movie podcast, and yet here you are talking about James Bond. Um, are you um, selling out or what? All my love, Dorothy. P.S. Uh, have fun in the bungalow. You oh, fucking Dorothy, you prick. Is it just not a crude drawing? It looks like there's a bit of words on there, but it looks like a really crude drawing of kind of a naked man on fire shooting a yeah. bazooka. Strange markings like stains on there. I don't know what they are. Maybe she was eating a dinner when she wrote it. Um, so, yes, I mean, uh, aside from being a colossal prick, um, Dorothy does make a good point that, weirdly, James Bond films have never really fit comfortably in the traditional action genre, even though possibly towards the end of the Connery era, they did start to get more and more action orientated, coming away from spy thriller into full on action film. So I think they do need some attention. I think also there is, especially in the eighties, there's some real crossover between the traditional kind of Hollywood action film and the Bond films. And that normally comes to a head that that kind of synthesis normally gets talked about in regards to license to kill both in terms of its tone its pace its cinematography its plot um the michael Kamen score its rating but i also think that the 1983 never say never again which is what we're going to be talking about today has some crossover as well so that's why we're talking about this, Dorothy, and anyone else out there who wants to get funny with us and say, get back to your Chuck Norris's or whatever. I, I think just, just in case people aren't entirely aware of what Never Say Never Again is, basically one of the people who helped write the storyline for the Thunderball novel, I believe, withheld the rights to make a film of that story. And so despite Eon having the rights to the Bond franchise and making a series of films uh this one guy just desperately wanted to make his own version of uh thunderball um, and much to the the the, ch the chagrin of eon 
who constantly tried to block him with uh, legal action. He eventually got his wish in 1983. So basically what we have is a remake of Thunderball starring a aging Sean Connery. Yeah. And other than that, it's basically the same plot. So, I mean, we'll really, really super sum up the plot in a bit, but this is kind of like the 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 dark horse of the Bond franchise. And I hadn't seen it for a very, very long time. What were your thoughts? So it's a weird one. This, I mean, yeah. I I don't think I've seen it since I was I was uh, you know kind of early teens at least when ITV or Granada yeah. back back in the day used to screen. Bondathons, and it always kind of snuck on. They used to have a Sean Connery season and a um, uh, Roger Moore season. And what I think is strange, so Connery's playing kind of a returning Bond, but he's you know he's kind of, he does look quite old in this, hmm. but it doesn't feel tonally. It doesn't feel quite like a Roger Moore film. It feels a little bit kind of like they try and market like it's going to be Sean Connery doing a Roger Moore Bond. Hmm. You look at the cover. I mean, you look at like there's a couple of opening gambits when he's. He's kind of raising the eyebrow and stuff. But actually, <clears throat> on the whole, it doesn't feel like a Roger Moore Bond film. Yeah. Um, some kind of nice touches. So I really like kind of Max von uh, Sandow. He's Blofeld, which mm. you don't see a lot of them, which is a shame, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, they've got some kind of nice location stuff. It doesn't feel like it's shot at Pinewood or shot in a quarry in Wales. Actually, it feels like it's, they've been bothered to go to a location and shoot it. They clearly lost a lot of money on it, reading behind the scenes. Mm. They're kind of the user shot his load quite quickly. So they probably did end up at a quarry in Wales, but <clears throat> for the whole of it. Um, it yeah, it feels, it feels a little bit like a, a throwback, trying to get back elements of early Connery Bond, but with a kind of slightly 80s twist. So they had all that, you said, the 80s elements in there. Mm but without the kind of campness of Roger Moore. So it's quite an interesting watch when you watch it back. Yeah. And like um, Edward Fox plays M, which is quite a nice choice. And even the, the recast Q, so the quartermaster in this, who is really good. Um, he's not in it very often, but he's not the kind of, do bear attention, Bond, yeah. kind of doddery, stupid old twat who, you know, Desmond Llewellyn ended up being in, in the Roger Moore and kind of later on the 90s films. Actually, he's quite a nice, grounded character who he actually says we've not got much money down here we do it the best we can actually it's, it's again it, that bit's quite grounded and it kind of retains the 80s feel but yeah it's a very strange mix a very strange mix of, of stuff i think yeah it, I, i'm like you i mean i i watched it when i was younger and as a kid i didn't really know anything about legal battles or legal rights it was just the bond film that had the same story as another one and no gun barrel opening, just the a kind of strange stencil of 007 that flies towards the screen. And then obviously I, I became aware when I was slightly older that it was not part of the official series of films. Um, but it was just on, on, you know, my dad used to tape these films off the TV, stick them in the faux leather bound bookcases. And it was just the bomb film you throw in. It wasn't one, one of my favourites, but I saw it again and I can't remember where because I don't own it. Um, it possibly was on TV and I remember watching it this must be 10-15 years ago and kind of my, my abiding memory of it was that oh no this is a bit of a, of a shit one so I didn't go in with particularly high expectations but like you I was pleasantly surprised for most of it I thought that it opened really well 
Mm. It had some really nice touches. The action, again, it, it didn't go huge, ridiculous Bond. It was kind of, again, I say quite grounded, more in keeping with Your Eyes Only and uh, License to Kill and Living Daylights and stuff like that. And it, I mean, I think it goes off the boil a bit towards the end. Um, in fact, I can point at the, the the very part that it peaks, I think, and doesn't recover. But yeah. what's interesting, which both interesting and also problematic, is that this is this is a, a, a film about James Bond being older. Um, they, I, you know, I imagine we'd go in and we'd have Bond, you know, a, an old Sean Connery pretending to be a young Bond. And yeah. there is, to a degree, they engage with the fact he's older, he's not yeah. as fit as he was, that the double O kind of area is on its way out. And that could be really good until they completely forget that and he starts going around um, banging lots of young women as if he's still young Bond. And there's a point yeah. where it just tips over, you think, oh, where was the stuff where he was being old? I mean, it is a Bond retirement story. He does end up yeah. retiring but not before he still put it about a bit in a way that, you know, you look back and you think, Oh God, Bond, you, you should be in prison really. I mean, I mean, there's that scene when he, there's a scene when he kind of walks through a health spa yeah. and you, the, the audience is again, Connery is a good looking fella. Like, you know, even, even in the kind of when he gets old, he's, he's quite, you know, rugged, handsome chap. And it's a good wig. It, it doesn't look like a wig. It's, it's a believable wig. As Connery wigs go, it's it's up there. It's it's kind of you know, mm. it's not a shit shit wig. But um, there's a bit when he walks through uh, a spa in a kind of cr like a, a a cricket jumper slash with a bit of a cravat going on. Yeah. And he walks through, and there's lots of young women kind of lay on rocks and and things. It's and like um, it's like a wet dream from ancient Rome. It's like people lounging and draped across pillars and stuff. It's kind of mm. like. Uh, Caligula's bathroom. It's weird. Yeah, and then but then you, he kind of walks through, and the, the camera follows him, and you're kind of you know it, it's, the, the women's gaze is on him all through, and it's a bit like no, 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 I'm not buying this. No. Yeah, it leads right to a scene where he then fully on sexually assaults Kim Basinger, uh, but more on that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, two two things I think are, are worth mentioning. Um, and you can stick this in your fucking pipe, Dorothy, is that there are two very distinct links here. One to uh, traditional 80s action movies and one that kind of links to um, the other side of things that we enjoy, and that's kind of shit British celebrities and sitcoms. And that is, uh, do you know who did the fight coordination for this film? I didn't, but I read up, up on it this week, and it was none other than Steven Seagal. Yeah, who apparently broke Sean Connery's wrist during a rehearsal. Now, I wouldn't say by looking at it that um, you would see Seagal's magic touch in there, but it's nice to know that he's spiritually he was there. Um, and do you know who did a final pass on the screenplay for this, most of which ended up in the shooting script? No, go on. Dick Clement and Ian LaFrancis, who wrote... Oh, amazing. <laughs> So it's got those two worlds that we love so much clashing together in, uh, you know, uh, a mostly mediocre Bond film. Um, like um, bollocks in a, um, in, a, in a loose pair of shorts as you're running down the seafront kind of way. Clacking together. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. <laughs> 
Um, There's an image, Dorothy. There's an yeah. image. So the the movie, it, the plot of Thunderball. For those who've never seen uh, either one of these films or read the book, um, that uh, in this Maximilian Largo, I think he's got a different name. I think it's anyway Maximilian Largo um, has coerced a U.S. Uh, Air Force's pilot into helping him steal two nuclear warheads, mm. um, which he then uses to extort the world governments for huge sums of money on behalf of Spectre. Um, Bond is sent to a health spa <laughs> as, a, as a plot point. Um, when he gets out of the health spa, um, he is then dispatched to uh, get them back. And he does so by uh, wooing Largo's girlfriend, played by Kim Bassinger, who also happens to be the sister of, uh, <coughs> at this point, the now murdered uh, Air Force pilot. So it, it opens with a really, really good little action sequence of Bond. I really enjoyed the opening. I thought it was yeah, a great little... It's not... Um, it doesn't hang on a huge stump. It's basically him infiltrating this cool kind of rainforest outpost. And he just uses blowpipes and proper spy kind of infiltrate yeah. stuff. No, no gadgets. I think the, the, the fanciest thing he's got is a kind of frisbee that makes a whistling noise. Uh, Which actually is quite effective. It does quite a nice little job. And yeah. then it kind of it kind of creates a little explosion, which doesn't look too ridiculous either. Yeah, and it's basically just Bond just fucking people up. And, and Sean Connery looks like he could do that. It's it, He's quite capable in the action sequences. Plus, he gets to headbutt someone in the opening scene. Now, for me, that's the mark of a good Bond film. Um, Living Daylights, in the opening action sequence, Dalton gets to headbutt someone. And as soon as he did that, I was like, yep, I'm in. I'm in with the Dalton era. You know, Sean Connery headbutting someone, I'm in. Um, and it ends with what we think is Bond getting stabbed by the very person he's there to rescue. But as it turns out, it's all just a kind of test to see if yeah. Bond's still got it in him. And Edward Fox, who's a very frustrated M, um, mm. kind of says to, to Bond, you're old, you're out of shape. Um, uh, you need to go to a health spa and get yourself sorted. So he does. Um, and it's a weird, I mean, even in the original Thunderbolt, it's a weird thing because him being there allows him to just completely coincidentally bump into the other element of, of the plot. So Bond's at Health Spa. He immediately, I mean, doesn't even seduce the woman there. She just immediately just starts, yeah, all right, I'll have sex with you. I'll put yeah. my career online. It is significantly less aggressive and only slightly more consensual in Never Say Never Again than it is in Thunderball. Thunderball is just clearly a full-on sexual assault um, on his part. Yeah. But it is still kind of like, what's going on here? Now, yeah. this is where we meet the Air Force pilot who's in another room and who is being somewhat <clears throat> um, looked after with some kind of fickleness by... Uh, his nurse, who is also a Spectre agent, Fatima Blush, who we're going to have to talk about because she's quite the character. She's brilliant. She is brilliant. <clears throat> I, I think we'll come back to her later. I mean, because I, I've got a fair bit to say about her. I think she's a really interesting character. Um, but anyway, she recognises Bond. Apparently, James Bond, despite being a spy, people know who he is. Um, and so... She's convinced he's there on purpose, like to, to spy on her. So Spectre dispatches an assassin. Now, I want to just 
you know, as a as a rhetorical question to our, our listeners, if you were Spectre and you had all the world's resources, uh, espionage resources at your fingertips, and you need to assassinate someone at health bar, bear in mind that their food is going to be controlled. So poison is a really good option. Yeah. They're going to be alone a lot of the time. They're yeah. going to be strapped into things, completely vulnerable. What assassination attempt would you come up with? Because Spectre decides to just send Pat Roach to punch him to death. <laughs> like, there's no yeah. finesse to it. Like, I don't see there's much of a plan. He's just going to beat the crap out of him, um, which is odd because it wouldn't even look like an accident. Um, however, logic's loss is our gain because Pat Roach is in this movie. And fight Sean Connery. what follows is not only a great fight, not a, a fight in the sense of a well, you know, particularly well choreographed or whatever, but a really escalating fight that's full of little gags and humour that's quite vicious and brutal and rough at times. What I think it does do, though, I think, compar- again, going back to the, the Roger Moore comparison, when he fights Jaws, and mm. let's face it, is an icon- Jaws is an iconic villain, but they're yeah. always shit fights. It's always kind of Roger Moore just being choked a bit. This, yeah. they, they try and clearly do the same with this, with a big, kind of indestructible, hook-like figure fighting yeah. Sean Curry. But it comes across so much better because yeah. Pat Roach is kind of, he has got that comedy timing about him mm. and his physicality, he can actually move. Right? Kill just kind of was like a big stiff robot chugging yeah. through the scene. So that worked so much better on that level. Just as a, an aside, um, did you know that Richard Kill was originally cast as the Incredible Hulk in the TV series? I did not know that, no. And he filmed scenes and in the pilot, one shot uh, of him... I think the, the Hulk is trying to push down a tree and there's a bird's eye view of the Hulk and that is a Richard Kill in a costume, not Lou Ferrigno. And if you pause it, if you can find it online, it's just one shot in the original pilot, still Richard Kill. Anyway, uh, yeah, and it's full of gags, but they're really throwing each other about. At one point where Sean Connery's lobbing dumbbells at, at Pat Roach and they're bouncing off him. So it's very visceral. Um, there's a nice bit where they're, they're sort of, they're fighting and they walk past a room where everyone's watching a boxing match and the cheers are kind of cheering them on. And Pat Roach gives this little bit of a kind of like, oh, they're cheering me, kind of a little laugh. And it's really, it's full of charm and humour. But more importantly, it ends with what I think might be the best joke in a Bond film ever. And one of the best film jokes I've ever seen. It's such a good meta reference and so aware of Bond both as a institution but also as a problematic character yeah this scene ends with them crashing through into a room that's full of jars and vials and beakers and test tubes of various liquids like almost like a chemical room and Bond reaches for the nearest glass jar throws the liquid in Pat Roach's face he then starts screaming and his eyes are burning and he falls back into some glass and spears himself and dies and Bond looks at what hideously acidic thing he's thrown in Pat Roach's face, and it's his own urine sample. Now, the fact that a Bond film acknowledges that Bond is riddled with STTs to the point that his piss is acid, <laughs> I'm in. I mean, you've won me over. That's just such a good joke. And it's something that I never got as a kid. I just, I don't know. I mean, you don't really question much as a kid, but I didn't understand, like, why his name was written on the bottle of acid. It's only fairly recently when I remembered that scene that I got it. And it's just like, that's such a good joke. 
Such I'd a also like to see if they incorporate that joke in other kind of Bond mm. things, like the theme tune. I imagine Shirley Bassey saying, "He's piss is like acid." <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it's so good. Um, so there's some there's some faffing about after that. Basically, the Air Force pilots killed. In a fairly clumsy assassination attempt, Fatima Blush pulls up next to him in, in, a, in her car. They're both driving. She throws a snake in his lap, which causes him to crash. She doesn't shoot him. Yeah. Which would have been easier. Yeah. Surely. When you think, well, is she trying to make it look like an accident? But how would a snake accidentally fall in your car? But then he crashes. She retrieves the snake. And then she blows the car up. And I think, well... Just blow the car up, throw the bomb in the window, or shoot him, or shoot the tires out. Such a weird, like it's one of those things where it's um, they want a Bond villain death, not a, a death that makes much sense. Um, but then Bond goes off to I can't remember what clue he gets, but he goes off to the Caribbean or Barbados or wherever we are, similar to the location in in Thunderball. And unlike a lot of Bond movies, that's where they stay. They don't really go to many other locations really they they kind of stick to one um and so basically largo's got a yacht off to shore bond needs to get out to it so he's kind of hanging out round by the water side and this is where he bumps into fatima blush again she water skis into him um i'm oh, sorry mr bond i've got you all wet well my martini is still dry another good joke um, um great one and they immediately start to fuck. I mean, not right there after that joke, but essentially in the next scene, they're on a boat somewhere and they're, they're going for it. And it's a little bit saucy. There's, there's lots of jokes about going down, which are less subtle than the jokes previously. I mean, they might as well just been sort of giggling and saying blowjobs at each other. It was pretty on the nose. But Fatima Blush. So I remember as a kid, I vividly remember being confused by this woman like slightly scared but there was some other feeling as well she is played by barbara carrera who was in lone wolf mcquade um she is a very attractive woman she has a lot of uh screen presence and charisma and magnetism um and she has a sexuality that kind of comes through quite significantly but yeah. fatima blush is to say she's aggressive is an understatement. When we see her in this health spa, she's dressed as a nurse. There's something about the way she says the line, what is it? Uh, um, some so will give baby his candy, which is both yeah. terrifying and weirdly sexy as well. But when she's not seducing the pilot, she's beating the living shit out of him. Like she properly abuses oh, she him. Goes, yeah. Absolutely she smashes his face against the wall. And yeah. Just throws him around the place the fact that she just goes straight for bond and if anything is mm. more dominant than bond sexually she's essentially a female bond in the same yeah. way and how she's always got a couple of men on the go she always gets whatever she wants and she gets hers and she doesn't care, care give a shit if anyone else does she's also incredibly violent and sadistic and i think she's a really interesting mirror image of bond and actually the fact she's so threatening is be simply because we're so not used to seeing female bonds act like that. Now, I'm not going to go ahead at all and say she's a um, 
an aspirational character because she is very much sort of written off as insane in this. And she does eventually end up being a bit super villainy and a bit kind of mad at the end. So I'm not going to say that's necessarily a totally positive one, but I think she's really interesting. Yeah. Look at how the male guy, you see someone like Bond through another, through another lens in that, you know, and that's kind of possibly how, obviously how women might see Bond as is really threatening sadist. Um, but that would require someone with far more academic credentials than me to, to, to articulate properly. I just think she's really interesting uh, for further scrutiny. Now, also, yeah. there is um, another kind of guest appearance. So the lady who is fishing and that manages to fish Bond out of the water is Valerie Leon. She was in a, a carry-on film. She's also in uh, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, where she plays uh, the mummy character, reincarnated kind of Egyptian princess. So she's quite kind of iconic in that respect. And she is killed by Fatma Blush, which requires Bond to open a big styrofoam box, get on his uh, magic motorbike full of gadgets and chase after him. What is a really good motorbike? Mm chase action sequence with a pretty decent car crash it's a very 80s motorbike chase yeah it's kind of that you know black kind of street hawk knight rider-esque look yeah. about it and i think it's they kind cool of bike. They, they take that element don't they the 80s kind of tv american tv style of it it's not like a classic british bike or anything like that yeah it? it's very much in the kind of knight rider street hawk kind of um realm and there's a nice kind of escape from the back of a truck that he has to do and at this point, Fatma Blush is just screaming at people. She's just turned into kind of like a, a you know, a Nazi-esque character. Yeah. And then her demise is a bit of an odd one. She traps him in this kind of place and he's kind of scrabbling around in the dust. At this point, she's kind of dressed in like a, a leathery outfit. She looks a bit like either Ursa from Superman 2 mm. or one of Ming's either Princess Aura or the other woman whose name escapes me in the black with the, with the ring, Jen yeah. Cara. Um, she's kind of looks like she's the ruler of an intergalactic empire at this point. Yeah. And before Bond, there's some clumsy dialogue. And then before Bond is, she killed or tries to kill Bond, she doesn't talk to him. She insists he hand writes a letter saying she was the best sex he ever had. Yeah. And to sign it, 007, like the world knows who 007 is, and we'll go, well, if 007 yeah. liked her, she must be great. And I want to see more of this. I want to see more villains use a hero's credentials and reputation to um, endorse them. I think that'd be good. I'd like to see Ming sort of say to Flash Gordon, before I put you to death, can you just say that, um, can you just write this letter? And I want you to say that, before you died, you saw me in the shower and I've got the biggest dick in Mongo. Like, just <laughs> sign it for me. You know, I want more of that. Um, before, like, you know... Skeletor saying to He-Man, not only have you, to write this down, not only have, you, have I banged Evil Lynn, I've had yeah. Teela as well, and the Sorceress. Yeah. Sign that to He-Man and then have that. Before, you know, the Red Skull, before we, I, I kill you with this ray gun, Captain America, can you just say that I make a lovely apple pie? Um, and sign that for me. Yeah, you're American. They'll trust you. I, I want more of that in in thing. Yeah. In him. Anyway, Bond fires a pen at her and she blows up. 
um, and then it's over. And it's just a weird kind of abrupt end to her story. Quite early on in the film, because then there's, he goes off to, um, he's decided he's going to seduce Kim Bassinger, who's, Ma who's Max Largo's girlfriend, use the fact that Max Largo has been unbeknownst to her, torturing and brainwashing her brother to try and convince her to come over his side. And this is where we have the scene where, despite the fact she's a, you know, fairly young, fairly innocent, and Bond knows that she's being manipulated, he can't help himself. So he wanders into this, you know, into Caligula's wet dream, mm. and then poses as her masseuse. Yeah. And just has a good old gander at a naked body, and then fills her up. And then mm. runs off, and then the real masseuse comes in and says, sorry I'm late, and she's like, where's, where's the other guy? Like, he doesn't work here. And it's just like, for fuck's sake, Bond, you just... And literally the look on her face, for the most part, is like, what the fuck did that guy just do? There's a few seconds where she then looks like she kind of enjoyed it. And you think, if you'd have just cut that two seconds earlier, yeah. that's got an entirely different meaning. Yeah. Despite their first meeting, he just ogles her and fills her up, completely against her will, complete invasion of her body space, of her privacy... She just immediately gets over that and immediately falls for him. And the next scene is, an, is the scene that I thought that I loved as a kid. And that's the weird inclusion to kind of try and get in, I think, with the kids at the time to have Bond play the villain at Pac-Man, basically, or Missile Command. Basically, have an arcade game off. Um, I love this scene because it's clearly like this is where they shoehorn the 80s in. So he yeah. goes, it's a very opulent casino. So they're wandering through this opulent casino. Again, very 60s Bond where he goes to Monte Carlo, wherever he's wandering through these lovely kind of French European casinos. And then a little side door opens and you see Kim Bassett, you wander through basically like a seafront arcade when everyone's playing like, you know, Frogger and Tetris and Pac-Man and all this shit. And then, yeah. so there you've got that. And then he goes... Come up, and then we see the villain kind of march out, and he was kind of—he's quite a clearly kind of an arrogant villain. He said, "Come and play me at this kind of my game." And they go into this back room where you would imagine he set up his own casino table or his own kind of blackjack table. No, he hasn't. He's—he's he's a marble desktop, you know, tabletop arcade, a marble one. It's again like if Caligula had played Space Invaders, that's what it'd look like. It's yeah. ridiculous. And I don't know what the game, what you had to do. I was trying to work no, this out when I was watching it. I couldn't get what the game was about. You might yeah. be able to, but I could not for the life of me fathom what you had to do. You fire missiles at the other person's country and they fire missiles at you and you have a laser to shoot the missiles down and then you get electric shocks. I mean, it looks cool. But again, I think this is another missed opportunity. Why, you know, I hope in When No Time to Die finally comes out, that we get to see Bond and Blofeld sit down and play Mario Kart. Or, like, um, you know the level in Sonic the Hedgehog 2 where you had to run through the... Like, it went 3D and you had to run through the, the channels and the rings went round oh, and yeah. you had to loop Bond's Sonic, Blofeld's Tails. Um, you would jump in front of the other one to get in front of them. I want to see them play that. Or Micro Machines, you know, and, one, and Bond nudges Blofeld off the side of the, the workbench or into the sink. The two of them playing Wii Fit, you know, it would be great. Oh, I want to know what Bond's great. avatar would look like. Because Bond's avatar would reveal how he sees himself. 
Like if the Wii existed in Never Say Never Again, I bet Bond's avatar would look like his younger self. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't go, no, 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 let's pump up the weight a little bit and make the hair look a bit odd. Um, Yeah, I think that'd be an interesting insight. I wonder what what Bond's Wii avatar looks like. Uh, If if Dorothy's listed, if you could, you know, your drawing of a naked bazooka man is beautiful. If Mm. you could reimagine Bond's avatar on the Wii fit, Mm. specifically, have a tennis outfit, a golf outfit, and a, and a dinner jacket outfit. If you could draw those three things, send them in for next week and we'll have a gander. I like the Thank fact you. that maybe Bond will be quite good at some things, like if there's a shooting game. So he will have unlocked something like a pair of you know, camp sunglasses to wear. So I think his, his avatar would be fairly normal, but would have one flourish, like a strange hat or an electric guitar or something. I'd like, I think he'd give himself something, yeah, yeah. a little something special. So then... And I'll be honest with you, I don't think the arcade game is where it peaks, but I think it starts to get less interesting after that. Mm. I think there's a lot of running around, a horse jumps off a wall, which they I think they threw a horse off a wall or into some water. Um, so there's different cuts of that where the horse isn't being hurt in, in some territories. They're, I think Kim Basinger is sold as a slave, but then rescued. And I don't really get what's going on. Now, that's where they started from our money as well. It clearly yeah. like when out of money and kind of just wanted to finish the film, I think. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I when I was watching it, I, I, I genuinely got past the arcade machine and then thought, I can't remember what happens in the rest of this film. Mm. Well, I pretty much remember the motorbike chase, the arcade game, the fight in the spa, even the snake death, but I couldn't remember what happened here. And there's a reason for it is because not much happens and it does appear like they run out of money. And I was watching it thinking this all looks suddenly very cheap and Mm. pointless. Um, So the finale is a minor skirmish in a pretty unconvincing cave. And that's it. There's no big finale. Now there are jetpacks and not so much jetpacks kind of little platforms or missile warheads. They sit and they look pretty cool. I remember being impressed with them as a kid. but then they run round, him and Felix Leiter run round in a pair of shorts, shooting at people in a cave, and then Bond dives down a well, and there's a small, slow fight underwater with him and uh, Largo. Mm. And that's it. He defuses the bomb, and everything's fine. And it's really, really anticlimactic, which is a shame, because had the ending matched some of the other action sequences, I don't know if they had some ori- different plans originally, I'd be interested to see the script, but, it, you know, it, it definitely felt like it was on the... They were just shooting on the fly, just grabbing whatever they could um, yeah. and doing it on the cheap, which is a, a real shame. Um, and then Bond apparently retires to go live with Kim Bassinger, even though he barely knows her, and they met with him uh, massively overstepping the line with her. It really is. That's a, that's a weird ending. I mean, she's much younger than him. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it is super weird. Um, you also forget the, the uh, element where, at the end, Rowan Atkinson runs in, gurns and falls into a swimming pool. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson is in this for two scenes. And he's quite funny in it. Algernon, he, he's quite kind of daft um, and works well. With, but I would like to have seen him maybe tag along with Bond a bit more. It would been good if in the bike sequence he was on the back, kind of holding waist. Yeah. Um, uh, it would have been good if he was just um, if he poked his head around the corner as Bond was having sex with Fatma Blush and was just like oh and went out again. 
lots of opportunities there that were missed. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of fun stuff in this in this film. Um, and I say the bike chase is good. The fight with Pat Roach is pretty good and ends with a great joke. Um, the arcade thing is is weird but good. Um, and there, you know, even though with the the massage sequence, it's still considerably less creepy than other Bond movies, especially Sean Connery ones. He's you know, but it just it 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 doesn't end well, and it's such a disappointment that it could have gone out on a high, and it doesn't. Yeah, Peter Sellers, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Doesn't have many gadgets yeah. either, does it? I mean, we've got the exploding pen with the Union Jack on it. Got a laser watch which he uses to cut himself out of a chain. Yeah. And the bike is technically a gadget. Yeah, uh, but there's not a lot of ridiculous gadgets. Like I say, it's quite nice when you see Q Branch and Q. I like, yeah, I was going to say, actually, I really like. So we don't have a lot of money here, so actually, there's not much we can give you. And he, he feels quite grounded. He doesn't feel like Roger Moore, even. Even the Pierce Brosnan stuff, every time he goes to CQ in the Pierce Brosnan, it's fucking ridiculous. The bagpipes yeah. always annoys me. Um, it, it, it's time yeah. to play the pipe because well, I do, I do always... down 007. Fuck off, yeah. you I... stupid bastard. <laughs> I do always like the joke um, when he grabs the baguette. He's like, don't touch that. It's my lunch. <laughs> always makes me laugh. Um, yeah. But no, I do like the Q scene and I think the joke with the... Um, the nasal thing is is funny, um, but yeah, they, they they seem to have like a genuinely warm relationship, him and Q, which is nice. Um, probably tried tried to shag him at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think Never Say Never Again is has a lot going for it, but I think it's sixty five percent good, thirty five percent. Well, not even terrible, just boring. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that that's never saying never again's worst crime is that, is that when it's good, it's good. When it's not, it's just forgettable. Um, so uh, we're going to move to keywords. Um, now, last week, we really, I think we really started to test IMDb last week. Mm. We put throat rip in to, to Roadhouse, which is fair enough. But we also submitted Coffee Bottom, <laughs> which isn't even a thing. <laughs> And berry face, all of which were approved without any any worries. So, yep, uh, the roadhouse keywords now include coffee bottom and berry face. So, um, what in the name of Christ are we going to give? Never say never again. Got two words for you: acid piss. <sighs> you are a man after my heart. Um, now, I get the feeling that piss is gonna get knocked back so he might have to stick with urine acid urine trying to think you know i might put sexual aggression in there but really if two w- say again sexlist sexlist <laughs> yeah well sexlist but sexlist is fine so <laughs> i was thinking <laughs> I'm gonna put. I'm gonna. I'm, you know what? Let's test. Let's test. Let's see if things have any fucking standard. Sexualist. Sexualist. So, fat and blush is sex list that she throws. James Bond. Put that in there. Sex list. Yeah. So sex list. Yeah. So we have got so sexualist fat. and sex list. Yeah. 
yes, I want to add acid urine as a as a keyword. So in the mid nineties, um, Carol Co company, um, went bankrupt predominantly because that year they released showgirls and cutthroat Island, two big budget films that didn't do particularly well financially or critically. Um, so i our pitch tonight is going to take place in the early nineties. Um, but it's going to pretend that Carol Co did not sink its money into showgirls and it did not sink its money into cutthroat island it sunk its money into another imaginary project so what i imagine is that carol co having just successfully released terminator 2 mm -hmm. are a little bit perturbed that james cameron and um schwarzenegger are going off and are developing what carol co see as a big budget spy film which became true lies and they're also very much aware that 1995 uh, is going to mark the release of Goldeneye. So yeah. they're thinking, you know what? Spy films are going to be big. So we're not going to make a giant pirate film. We're not going to make a sexy Las Vegas film. We're going to make our own spy adventure. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do it as a twist. So we're going to hire someone who's not unknown, but we've worked with before yeah. in Red Heat that we know is a good actress. She, we did some yeah. casting call. We found someone who could be a female spy because we know that will offer something different than Bond and True Lies to a degree. So they cast Gina Gershon, okay? Yeah. And then they think, well, we're gonna need a director who can handle a big budget, mm -hmm. who's used to working with stars, who's good yeah. with practical effects and large scale stuff, who can handle sex and violence so they invite in Paul motherfucking Verhoeven <laughs> yes. and say, Paul, we want to make, we want to give you lots of money to make the biggest spy film you could possibly conjure. But um, firstly, we want this to be, you know, a little bit more accessible to audiences. So we want it to be violent, but not Paul Verhoeven violent. We want it to be kind of sexy, but not Paul Verhoeven sexy. Right. We don't mind a bit of humour, um, but Paul, we don't want, you know, any satirical swipes at America being fascist or capitalism being corrupt. Just mm -hmm. keep it, you know, one-liners. Basically, we want, in the US, a PG-13. We're willing mm -hmm. to concede on a 15 in the UK. Are you okay. okay with that? And Paul Verhoeven says yes. And they give Paul Verhoeven a big bag of money, the most money he's ever seen to make a film all of Carol Coe's money yeah. and he walks out and then just forgets that conversation and just makes the most Paul Verhoeven fucking movie with Gina Gershon that he can. The kind of film that gets an R so hard if you stubbed your foot on it, you'd break your toe. This film right. is going to have practical gore effects. It's going to have not like graphic sex, but Paul Verhoeven basic instincty sex. 
but it's a big budget spy film. I'm, I'm so in there. I mean, no, both feet in there. Yes. So I think this yes. would get this would get released in '94. It's a few years after, yeah. four years after Total Recall. Same year that True Lies is released, and it's essentially like Deep Impact and Armageddon. It's an early '90s spy film head to head. James Cameron's True Lies, Paul Verhoeven's whatever film is this called. So I'm just going to pull up the title now. The title generator to give her her due has not been designed. <laughs> to generate kind of flourishy Bond-esque titles. No. That being said, True Lies isn't one. So we want to no. pick something that's probably less uh, like, you know, hard fists or whatever, or iron bazookas, and something that may be a little bit more abstract um, yeah. and spy-like. So uh, I'm just going to crank the old roll up. And... Uh, Let's see what she gives us. So, when you crank up, I, in my head, for some reason, I've got you know, like Steamboat Mickey, when hmm. he's kind of spinning a big wooden wheel and there's like black smoke coming out the top of it, and you're whistling away. That's what I am, you know, when you fire her up, that's what it to me, that's what it feels like. Yeah, some of her is animal powered. I, I will, I will say that. Um, okay, she's given us Sharp Rockets 2 Computer Hazard, Tragic Pursuit. Hyper Enforcer, Texas Legacy, um, Lonely Communism, Sharp Lonely. Pirates, Charging Story, Amazing Impact, Sky Mystery, Lucky Permission. Lucky Permission's interesting. Oh, Badge of Spies, the next chapter, Dirty Hammer. Dirty <laughs> Hammer is good. <laughs> Hot Mafia. Cyber Project, uh, Erotic Amnesia, Ignorant Connection, Lonely Business. See, I like sad communism, but like <laughs> something within it, like Badger Spy, sad communism, or something like that. Yeah, sad communism is a lonely business. Falling Squad, Academy of Explosion 2, Amazing Amnesia. She likes amnesia. Okay. I don't know whether that's a sign for us. Um, okay. Well, why do we go with that route? Okay. I'm, I'm going to shut her down. Yeah. Um, so, we've got... You like sad communism. Yeah. Uh, in general. Just in general. In general, yeah. Um, amnesia is a nice word. And something possibly about loneliness as well. How about... We go like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and it's okay. it's uh, sad communist, lonely amnesiac. Yes, because then we we kind of hint at kind of a Cold War style spy battle going on somewhere, don't we? Okay, so how about this? There is a rogue agent out there who refuses to believe the Cold War is over. Okay. A Russian spy who's like, nope. We didn't lose, or we didn't, this didn't end. They've gone rogue mm. and they're out in the world sabotaging and subverting American power. And they are the sad communist. Yeah. And Gina Gershon is our lonely am amnesiac. You know so, what? I think we total recall it. I think we total oh. recall it. She's had her mind wiped. Mm. Actually, she was so dangerous, they've wiped her mind. 
So she's a housewife now in America. Um, she's had a mind wiped because she's such a, you know, kind of dangerous spy. Total recall style. The American government have done it. Mm. So it paints, the whole room does the kind of thing where it's the American government is kind of just fascists and kind of air mind control. And they do the capitalism is good. And they planted her in um, kind of suburban America, a la True Lies. But instead of the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, she's the kind of Jamie Lee Curtis character. But actually, we st- yeah, her old skill set starts to creep through. And there's something, there's a key word or something that said that unlocked all of this. And she's like, actually, am I, was I a spy? And the start of it, we battle, you know, against whether her kind of, skill set is fictional uh, or it's actually kind of real. So we go with that, with that angle. Mm. Sorry, I just took a bite of a Snickers. I thought you were going to talk for longer. <laughs> no, I stopped because I saw you about to bite that Snickers. I'm like, ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, so it's kind of got a long kiss goodnight vibe. Yes. I like the idea then, instead of it being like an accident, she's, she's, she's fired back up again. How about the fact that the sad communist is back mm. and so the agency go back to her and say, look, you're the only person that can bring her in. You're not a housewife. You're a spy. And we sent you here because we thought you were dumb, but we need to now deprogram you and bring your old memories back. So maybe they approach her to try and talk to her and she, she reacts by fighting them off. And she's essentially chased and captured by them, but they are the good guys. They're trying to get her back into a spy thing. They've made a mistake. And I like the idea she's struggling. Her obstacle is that she's now struggling with more pacifist-like qualities. She doesn't want to sleep around. She doesn't want to fight people. Um, I think I like the fact that she's been forced into a typical female role, and she's unhappy with that, the fact that men have made her become a housewife. I like the fact that she doesn't want to fight, but she's very good at it. I like. I think those are three very conflicting character things. And I think Paul Verhoeven would like that. I think he'd be like the idea of this idea of her almost being these three different archetypes and she's actually struggling to become something more than a stereotype or more than an yeah. archetype or a type of woman that we're used to seeing on film. Okay, okay, this is good. So um, let's get to the important stuff. What's her name? I think she has two names. I think her... Code name when she's kind of in suburban America is Chelsea Cress. Yeah. And her real name, her spy name is Bobby with a with an I. Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Phoenix. Done. Now I think if you look at Paul Verhoeven's oeuvre, um, he likes to work with a number of actors. So I think the Michael Ironside has to be in there. Yes. I've got an idea for the, spy, for, the, for the Soviet spy as well, who I think that should be. Okay. It should be Bridget Nielsen. That's really good. And I think there's a, there's a clear difference between the two women as well. That is, that's good. Bridget Nielsen. I think as well, somewhere, you know, we kind of got to get the sleazy Paul Verhoeven kind of, yeah. uh, uh, you know, kind of nudity in there. I think we meet Bridget Nielsen character where she infiltrates um like an eight like an early 80s 90s uh, male kind of spa so a bit like red heat but we switch it so every all the blokes are sat around in towels and she's got to get someone 
So literally, she's just in a very small towel, and then she ends up just taking the whole room out in a really violent way. Like yeah. she's got hidden knives, and she just ends up just kind of being pretty much naked, covered in blood, and she's taking the whole room of these blokes out, but just really brutally. So it gets the whole violence set. Like we see that really early on as well. I'm I'm up for that. So I think that she should, they should both have handlers. I yeah. think she. The, the Russian, the Bridget Nielsen should have, I like to see Michael Ironside with a Russian accent. Mm-hmm. So I think he's her boss. He's her Cohagen. Okay. To give him a chance to get back on that. So mm-hmm. I don't think he gets much action, but he's always on the video screen or a phone call kind of grimacing and growling yeah. down the phone at her. And then I think that Phoenix's, Gina Gershon's handler, should be Dean Norris, who plays um, Hank in Breaking Bad. Nice. He's also the guy with the weird face in Total Recall. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Starship Troopers. So I think that Paul Verhoeven likes him. Um, yeah. He could be in that as well. Brilliant. Like that. Yeah. And so basically, I think we start with the Bridget Nielsen weird spa sequence. Yeah. Violent spa sequence where she's gone in and she's gone to fight uh oh i'm liking this she's gone to fight a bunch of ex-spies who have retired and she's yeah. like you you you've given up on the cold war it's still going i yeah. like the fact that michael ironside is actually the one who's convinced about the cold war should still be a thing and he's brainwashed bridget nielsen yeah so she goes in like almost like a terminator and just wipes them out yeah that gets the attention of the government um, both the Russian government, who are now, you know, a bit more on speaking terms of the American government, who say, well, look, the only person that could have beaten her is one of your agents. How about we cooperate on this? So they go to this lovely old uh, kind of farm town, um, you know, like middle America, mm. to find uh, Agent Phoenix, who mm. is... There should probably be some kind of event. What kind of town event? I think it's a fair, it's a fate, isn't it? In Long Kiss Goodnight, it's around Christmas. So let's go Halloween. She's trick or treating. Okay. And she's trick or treating, dressed as. Uh, um, I like the idea. She's walking around. Dre- oh, there you go. It's a Robocop reference. She's dre- What's the? What's Ed two o nine. <laughs> just a series of boxes. <laughs> um, I was going to say, the robot from Metropolis. You know okay. the robot woman? Maria, yeah. her name is. Yeah. So that's kind of got her. So she's, she's made a robot costume, basically. Um, that's kind of good looking. She's going around, trick-or-treating. Um, and that's when the government arrive. And something in her brain is like a fight-or-flight mode. So she fights some of them off. I think she should stab one in the hand or cut some, one of his fingers off. I think someone's put razor blades in my apples and yep. just starts throwing them around and just kind of slicing people up. Yeah, I think that's good. As an aside, in, into the, a contextual thing, hmm. can the world be kind of going to shit? So like Paul Verhoeven likes his kind of, his landscapes to be quite bleak, doesn't he? You know, there's bits of neon everywhere. Everything's just a bit kind of, a bit like old Detroit in Robocop, where yeah. the, the little town, the small town America is kind of on the edge of it, and it's all quite nice. But like all, over the horizon, you see the city, and it's kind of starting maybe, to creep towards the 
yeah maybe it's not because yeah paul verhoeven wouldn't go to a nice kind of middle america town he'd go to an industrial town like a mining town yeah. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the mines have closed so i reckon there's poverty there yeah and that's where she got the steel to make the robot costume yeah perfect <clears throat> so um and they chase her to an abandoned mine then yeah like and then she she does a thing where she drops like a load of stuff like a load of uh wood from a crane on someone and it splatters his body but they eventually like shoot her full of darts mm. and they've got like four men holding her down kind of like in Tower Recall she's screaming and kicking them off she kicks one down a, a, a pit um, yeah. and they eventually knock her out and she wakes up and we think she's being interrogated but actually there everyone's like trying to be really nice and it's not until she meets Dean Norris um, who mm. I'm gonna call um, Ryder Warbecker <laughs> I like that, yeah. The handler. And uh, he's like, it's me. And she's like, you need to calm down. And, he, and he, he goes, you are going to have to deprogram because we've got an agent, an enemy agent, codename Sad Communist, who is out there. Um, and you are, we're going to have to unlock some memories from you and send you hmm. on the mission. Um, so I think without getting into too much detail there, I think over the course of the film, her memories are going to start to flood back and she's going to have trouble dealing with the things she's done in the past. I yeah. think that Bridget Nielsen is going to start to question her orders. I think we've got Mining Town. Yeah. got Russia. Mm. Either one of those locations is good for her and territory, but I think they should meet on neutral ground. I think okay. they're somewhere in the middle on their international journey. So I was tr trying to think of somewhere that could have be exotic, yeah, um, and have beaches and look kind of like traditional spy thriller stuff, mm. but also would have something a, a potentially a, like a, a red light district or a criminal area or a, a bit more poverty. I was wondering whether something like Thailand might be good. I think I think Verhoeven could photograph Thailand very very well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's layers of, you know, it's it's not just this gorgeous place, but it has these kind of, yeah, probably this not particularly fair reputation for, you know, its 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 permissiveness and its sexuality and its its sex industry and what have you, um, but also it'd be really hot and sweaty. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they're going to meet there because I like the idea that there is some confrontation between Bridget Nielsen and Gina Gershon, but I like the idea that at least towards the finale, she convinces Bridget Nielsen to turn to her side mm. and defeat Michael Ironside. I like the idea mm. she programs him. Anyway, back to the fun stuff. I want to see Gina Gershon fight a bunch of men on a conveyor belt heading to a meat grinder. I think I'm there. like a meat packing part of, of Thailand and I want to see her fighting men with a chain in one hand and a meat hook in the other while this conveyor belt rattles towards a meat grinder and being Paul Verhoeven people are going to go in the meat grinder yeah oh all day long all day long um, I think as well I think there should be something futuristic in there as well. I quite like, yeah. again, we're kind of in this futuristic world, but like not in a, in a kind of, like basically some of, the, some of the soldiers who were chasing her down have got like, not 
robotic. They're not robots, but they've got like kind of futuristic style armor that actually okay. she utilizes later on. So they've got like something like specialist jackets or specialist suits, or yeah. like they've got guns that are kind of supersized. And she kind of basically takes advantage of that and just steals them and just kind of goes on a massive rampage. With yeah, I think they should look like kind of black motorcycle leathers with a black visor kind of thing. They should look a bit stormtrooper y. Um, yeah. But have, yeah, some kind of exoskeleton stuff. I like that. Um, yeah. Because we haven't talked gadgets either. And I think Verhoeven would like some gadgets. But I think yeah. these gadgets would be gnarly ones. Can the head of the kind of American agency i don't think we we're oh, implicit to cia i think we create something else i think we create like an oc ocp style mm. like basically that the american spy network has been given to a private company so it's not run by the government it's run by a private overarching shit of a company and it's run by someone well i think it's run by the bloke who plays clarence bodiker in robocop he's the head of that yeah. So actually, they're, they're shits as well. Um, yeah. And they're called. Um, oh man. So they could be um, global espionage solutions. Jez. Yes. <laughs> but I think throughout the film, it's peppered. Mm. Just random adverts pop up. And they, they run, they don't just run a spy, they run everything. Yeah. Uh, and there's really weird, you know, like in Robocop when the adverts come on, like, you know, Red Alert and things like that. We get those adverts that pepper the film. So it just cuts to like um, an advert for, you know, um, Jez um, bringing you uh, funerals since 19, and it's just like yeah. really weird funerals. And it's just really strange things that they offer as a company. I, I think their, their slogan is everything has its place. And their job, is to they have a world order in mind and their 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 outlook is no everyone has their place everyone fits in you're this country you're that country you're the yeah. poor country you're the rich country and i like the idea we'll get we'll get the plotting out of the way and then we'll go to the fun stuff i like the idea that at one point gershon has confrontation with bridget nielsen mm. They exchange some kind of conversation that gets Bridget Nielsen thinking. Whatever she's already been, these kind of weird impulses to not follow orders, it yeah. kind of tricks something in her. <laughs> Gershon gets some key information on her handler, and that's all they yeah. need. So then, Jez come in, along with uh, um, Ryder, her handler, and they're like, okay, well done, we've got the information, we'll handle it for here. it's now time for you to go back to your old life. And he's like, well, I don't want to be a housewife anymore. And Ryder, who's supposed to be a friend, is like, everyone has their place and yours is a housewife. And they yeah. literally brainwash her. And we mm. have a quiet trip. She's in, she's in like a total recall chair. They're brainwashing yeah. her. At that point, Bridget Nielsen comes in and rescues her. And Bridget okay. Nielsen is proper killing people Terminator style. She's like breaking necks, practical effects of heads twisting round. She pokes people's eyes out. Um, there's a fire axe in the in the forehead. Um, we'll, we'll do the Robocop acid thing. She throws acid over someone, maybe her own urine, I don't know, and he turns into a melting mess. And Ryder puts a gun to Gina Gershon's head and he's like, if you did take another step forward, I'm going to kill her. Uh, and that snaps Gershon out of her memory loss. Yeah. She takes the gun, breaks his arm, and... Uh, shoots him in the head 
Murphy style, and we get a big prosthetic yeah. exploding head. And then yeah. Nielsen and Gershon are then going to head for Ironside in Russia, and there's an assault on his Siberian retreat. So he's got a snow fortress yeah. or a chateau, and they're going to attack that, uh, infiltrate, and, and fuck shit up. Um, it's quite a nice thing for like blood on snow as well to really kind of oh, amp up. I think there there should be to 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 give pay homage to Von. There should be some kind of skiing sequence. Um, yeah, yeah. Someone gets what are the sticks that they used to ski with. I know you mean with the, with, the spikes, with the spikes at the end of it. Yeah, let's just call them poles. They're, that's that's going in someone. A hundred percent going in someone. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of maybe them like doing a, a jump, and as they twist, the skis slice along a row of people's necks and slit their throats. Yeah, can we also have because in Die Hard Two he uses an ice uh, an icicle to stab someone. I yeah. think that's very relevant. Like there's a beautiful house with like lots of kind of icicles and looks very yeah. postcard. And Bridget Nielsen just snaps one off and just stabs someone through the through the neck with with a knife. How about how about someone's chasing her on skis and she goes under a row of them and she just mm. puts the stick up. So as the guy follows, every icicle drops into him. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he comes out like a hedgehog just full of them. Yeah. Um, Can we also have a bit where we kind of get the kind of total recall Robocop connection where Michael Ironside kind of does a video call to Clarence Bodiker. Uh, what is it Kurtwood Smith, the actor yeah. called? Yeah, and said so, um, you've got to send some of your boys here. Um, Siberia is getting attacked, and Kurtwood Smith like kind of sits there. He's got like a pinstrap suit on, really. He's mm. proper like one of those kind of eighties, nineties smarmy business. Mm. Well, everyone has their place, and then it just cuts off. So you know, actually, he could be hinted as the big bad in all of it, and then yeah. So actually, you know, like Paul Verhoeven, the, the kind of true evil never gets fully tackled in the film, yeah. and actually the overarching one. Yeah, and I, I think, um, I think one of the gadgets that Gershon should have, I think all the gadgets should be violence based, and I think that she has bullets that are explosives. So when they shoot, we get proper Verhoeven squibs, like proper chunky squibs. So she's firing machine guns and pistols and literally people are getting exploding and their shirts are red, wet, um, really gory. And let's have all their uniforms, all the bad guys' uniforms be white as well. So it really shows up. Um, so then I think they get up to the roof of the castle and Ironside comes out and he's wearing one of these tactical suits exoskeleton tactical suit so it's kind of robocopish kind of like he is have you ever seen space hunter yes yeah yeah so he's the bad guy in that so the overdog he's kind of channeling that a little bit okay and he's gonna fight them both and i want a fight scene as brutal as the fight scene between michael ironside and schwarzenegger in total recall like they're proper hitting each other where it hurts proper fleshy crunchy sound effects um yeah. spitting blood or almost reminiscent of the the um, Captain Freedom fight in Running Man. Yes. Um, yes throwing bricks at each other. And so we've got, he's got he's to die in a gory way. Right? So they're fighting him. And having fought the other ones before, yeah. they know they can reprogram the suit to do certain things. Yeah. So as Nielsen is just trading blows... Mm. and taking like a beating herself 
Yeah. That allows Gershon to creep up behind and, and uh, faff with the controls. And basically the suit turns on itself and starts to crush him from the inside. Yeah, yeah. So the suit shrinks and all the kind of gears and stuff retract. And so his face puffs up and his eyeballs pop out and his yeah. veins go. And he basically, all this blood from where his body's crushed starts spraying out from his neck. Um, and then he just yeah. pops like a balloon. Bridget Nielsen has sacrificed herself. She's dying and she's like, I never had a life before. I'm genetically engineered, came out with a test tube or some shit like that. Um, and Gershon's like, no, into the sky as, as the snow starts to fall. Yeah. Um, and then, how's it going to work? What, she, she, so she's not going to go back to the American girl. She's, she's going to be a wanderer. Not unlike Sarah Connor from the first Terminator yeah. film. She's going to drive off into the distance. Yeah. And then she can say something like, everyone does have their place, but they get to decide what it is as she drives off into yeah, yeah. the distance. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I think, I think to some degree we quite by accident have actually pitched a reasonably interesting film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what's I, happened there. I thought we were just going to go boobs and gore and that yeah. bankrupts Carolco, but I think this film may have actually... I'm not going to go and say it would have saved Carolco, but uh, I don't no, think it would have bankrupted them. It would have saved it. Yeah, I'm, put, I'm putting it, the hat in the ring there. It would have saved, sorted them out. Yeah. What we didn't do is we didn't name... Bridget Nielsen's character, and we didn't name Michael Ironscar's character. No, they're going to have Russian names, aren't they? Or unless we give them, just give them Russian code names. <clears throat> okay. Like um, Kremlin Gremlin. Uh, Kremlin Gremlin Gremlin could be Michael Ironsides, mm. and um, I like for her Siberian Grizzly. <laughs> yeah, Siberian Grizzly. Yeah, <clears throat> for her. I like the fact she's got a big fur coat the whole time. And that, oh yeah, that bleached flat top. I think that mixes, mixes yeah. well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think this is good. We we start with her, with Bridget Nielsen in a sauna, mm. killing people with her bare hands. She can punch yeah. through someone's chest in one thing. Like I think she literally kills someone with her thighs as well. She just wraps the thighs around someone and literally just squeezes into his head pops. Yeah. Because she's genetically engineered. She's a superhuman. Um, yeah. Yeah. We cut to Halloween in a poor mining town where Gina Gershon, dressed as a robot, is chased to an abandoned steel mine uh, and dispatches some attackers before she is subdued. Yeah. She's sent into a traumatic uh, total recall, if you like, recall of her memories, sent off to Thailand to track down this Russian spy, um, is attacked by exosuit-wearing government enforcers. Yeah, the Thailand should be a Verhoeven talent. So it's very Americanized. So it's almost like they're yeah. basically, you know, there's lots of neon signs for Coca-Cola and stuff like that. And Clarence yeah. Bollick's character's got, he's, he's kind of, he's, they're clearly over there and he's kind of faces on billboards. And it's very kind of... Yeah, I like the idea that it's it's um, rebuilt to look like what Americans think Thailand is. So it's yeah, almost it's like, like if you had a a, a, a Western business up a thai themed restaurant chain restaurant yeah, yeah. look like that so maybe yeah. we could do that maybe there's a point where she eats a, she has thai in her town in a in a mining town at a restaurant and thailand is owned by that restaurant and so when she goes yeah. to thailand it's exactly yeah. the same yeah 
that's proper Verhoeven as well. So yeah, yeah it's, just, it's it's all like that, and just really kind of it's basically like Venusville in Total Recall. Yeah, where it's kind of just it's really kind of been just kind of completely capitalised and looks just horrible. But again, yeah. like someone thought this our paradise should look like. Yeah, there's a fight on a conveyor belt into a meat grinder and an assault on a Siberian castle that ends in a robot Michael Ironside's head popping. It's brilliant. I'm in. It's good. It's genuinely good. I mean, it's no roller skating uh, Gary Busey. Um, and this film is called Sad Communist <laughs> Lonely uh, Amnesiac. Or, or, or just hard memories, <laughs> something like that. As much as I like uh, Sad Communist Lonely Amnesiac, I don't think it's, I don't think that title belongs to the film where Michael Ironside's head explodes. In an in Excel suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good movie, and that's what counts. What we haven't done, what we yeah. haven't done, uh, um, Never Say Never Again, shit, well, not shit, but a, a British celebrity pops up. It oh, could, yeah. Could be, uh, it's like Rowan Atkinson. He just pops up for two seconds. Yeah. When did when did Leonard Leonard Rossiter die? <laughs> Does it matter? Can we just put him in this anyway? <laughs> 1980, oh, 1984. Because oh, he played a good. He played a Russian a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah. Russian. How about Harry Seacombe? <laughs> Harry Seacombe. <laughs> He, he was still knocking about at the time. Harry Seacon could pop up. He's actually, did it or is he is he dead by this point? I think he went. I don't know. I think he might have gone early nineties. Two thousand one. Um, oh, well, he's in. Yeah, he's he in. in. I think he plays. Um, he's kind of like when they when she first gets to Thailand. He's like he owns like a, a sleazy bar. She's she's staying in a motel, and he kind of owns the sleazy bar. Because I think as well, I think I, what we could do with him, we could do the very Verhoeven thing, mm. where he appears in the commercials. Yes, so he's like a celebrity that has this kind of owns this franchise and talent, and he, he pops up and he, he has a catchphrase like "I buy that for a dollar." I can't. Yeah. So, but he, wear, he wears like um, you know the guy in Demolition Man, the yeah. kind of assistant assistant Bob. Yeah. He wears like a suit like that like a very kind of big kind of futuristic kimono style thing um what could his catchphrase be so now i'm thinking more christopher biggins yeah someone can i think it should be a really camp oh i've yeah. never had one of those <laughs> because that that could mean own it or had in a sexual sense i think that would yeah i'm thinking more christopher biggins now you know Biggins might be good. Big kind of futuristic round glasses, like they've kind of got like neon in them. Big yeah. kind of uh, you know kimono style, and like you say, he's got he's, he he plays a jaunty figure on this advert. But he's an absolute shit when you meet him in the kind of how how horrible he is. Yeah. What could his catchphrase be? Again, this doesn't enhance the film, but I'm thinking it's very Verhoeven. It's a very kind of Verhoeven thing for him to say. Yeah. And could it be related to the weather? It could be like. Um, how about something like oh it, it, it'll be sweaty weather <laughs> doesn't make any sense 
Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that sometimes he's got a weather map behind him and it's got like little little to like little icons of people sweating, like armpits, and he's pointed it. Yeah. 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 And there's one shot of him on a on a, on a sun lounge and he's getting fanned by the biggest fan you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> And he's just like, he's just kind of laying back. He advertises it. Every time you see him, he's advertising something else related to this big multi kind of multinational conglomerate. So yeah. it could be like, he could be advertising toothpaste or um, an arcade game that they've brought out. <laughs> so he's by the pool playing like a tabletop arcade game. Yeah. It's sweaty weather. <laughs> it, it kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do about the title. I think, I don't think we've, we've come up with a satisfactory one. Um, which is a show, which is a first for us. I mean, I think that's because generally speaking, we we come up with films so appalling in their nature that uh, any title works. But something that really works with this, uh, I think, hard memory, hard remembrance. Oh, I like that. Hard remembrance, I think, is good. I like that. Let's go with hard remembrance. Yeah. Um, well. That's taken it out of me, more so than last week. I, I feel spent. Justice, justice, justice. God help us, what lessons are we going to learn from watching Bond in action? Um, I think really, if, if you're anywhere near north of... 45 let's say 50 yeah don't wonder about a massage parlor just having free reign mm. it's gonna get in trouble yeah I, I i would say that if your if your hunt for justice takes you to women's changing rooms um any anywhere that's that's a space for women i would exercise some caution you may think you look great but you probably don't you probably stick out like a sore thumb um mm. Or, or I'd say stick out like a shit thumb, like a shit old pervert thumb. Um, like a shit yeah. erection. Yeah, I, <laughs> shit erection. Um, I'm going to go slightly different here. I'm going to go with your sexual prom promiscuity can be weaponized. I think that um, as much as you should, you know, respect women's spaces and yep. personal space. Always get consent. As a spy, it's part of your job to put it about. Um, and that does have its side effects, namely uh, terrible afflictions of the genitals. But that can make your urine a deadly weapon in a fight, in a health farm, with a British wrestler. So, you know, no, if, if they haven't taken a urine sample, maybe have on you uh, a beaker or a hip flask full of your own piss, just to love a, assailants should they approach you. Um, think, yeah. I think they should be standard issue for all spies, actually, just a, a bottle of their own piss. Um, don't, whatever you do, go to a music festival with a spy. Because they'll be lobbing their bottles of piss at the at the band, um, you know, shed seven or whatever, and you'll just get like burns on the back of your neck. It's not worth it. 
Well, again, <laughs> what a note to end on. Um, great advice for both seeking justice and attending outdoor music festivals with members of the intelligence community. Before we go, Dorothy, we, no. we, eagerly, await, we eagerly await your uh, next missive next I week. Don't. I'm going to send her a bottle of my piss. Fucking twat.